All right. So um, go ahead and start recording, guys. And am I on? Let me know when I'm. Let me know when I'm switched over. Okay. Okay. There we go. Is that up? All right. So next week, as I've been saying, Easter. The this the day that we celebrate the most important event, the most important moment since creation. And that is the day when God himself takes upon himself what was due us. God made us to be one with us, to be in relationship with us. And what we did was, he didn't want to force that, so he gave us genuine free will. And we chose to go someplace other than to be with him. And in so doing, we separated ourselves from him and created a great gulf that could not be bridged by anything that we could do. And so God is the one who became the bridge, who bridged the gap by the one offended. We offended him by separating ourselves and choosing away. The one offended took on the consequences of that offense, the choices we made, he took on the consequences. And in dying, he paid for it. He went into the ground and he paid for those sins. That's what we call them. Now having said that, I wanna say something. It's not actually the cross that we celebrate at Easter, right? I mean, Easter can't be Easter without the cross, so we get why that, but actually what we celebrate on the Sunday morning is this moment. If you want to go up and down with lights or not, we're going to be doing a lot of clips today, but it's up to you guys, whatever you want to do. This is the moment where he rose again. Now think about this for a second. Think about, see, if it weren't for the cross, it would just be another person risen from the dead, and that's happened before. Jesus himself raised a few, and other people throughout history have been raised from the dead. So that wasn't, it certainly is unusual, but that wasn't remarkable in the way that Christ's resurrection is remarkable because of the cross. The cross feeds that. You see it? Which is to say this, see, we have to have the pain in order to get to the fullness of the moment, in order to get to the glory that's to be found in the moment. I love that image right there. By the way, in the movie, they do it technically, they do it right through the wrist, but in this, everybody thinks of it as the hand, so I think they made the right choice artistically because that right there, the, it's the glory of him risen again and standing up and walking back into our lives and back into all of creation and all of that, but there was a cost to it. 
right? Now, the thing that I want us to see out of this, the thing that's important for today is this. What we have is, is we have a progression then, don't we? We have a progression that goes from pain to glory. Now, this is a pattern that we have seen and been seeing for a long time throughout the first of this year, right? Because we've been seeing over and over where the Lord's been saying, trust me, no matter what. Knowing that there's a cost, knowing that there's another thing going on that sets up what the glory is. In other words, you don't get to the fullness of the glory without the other. And when you fully get what that is, that's when you appreciate, understand. It gets down into your soul what that other really is. Absent, if there was just some mention of the cross and we were thinking of the resurrection, would it be nearly as rich? No. There's something that we need to experience of that other thing that makes this thing be the fullness of what it is. So with that in mind, you know, this is very much in keeping with the whole thing that we've been doing. In fact, I'll show you even more so in two seconds. But I want you to see something. We're not actually going after exactly what we've been going after this whole time. Having built a foundation, the Lord is now taking us to another place. To a place where we can experience regularly in something that we do all the time. We can experience the fullness of everything that happened in order to bring about the fullest expression of why it was done and what we're now in. Now, I just wanna show you this. I've been saying over and over that the Lord's in control of our sermons, and, and he's all, it's always been true, but the degree to which he's doing it in these last years has just been extraordinary, and let me just show you an example of that. We've been in Luke for years. I do not orchestrate what comes up the next week. We have lots of people from the congregation speak. We have all kinds of things happening. I do not say we're going to preach this on this weekend because we look forward and be a nice fit. We do not do that. And yet here we are, the last time that we are gathering together before Easter. That's where we are here in this church. And the passage that we're doing is the last time the disciples will be with Jesus before his betrayal trial, torture, death, and resurrection. You see it? He literally has us. I've been testing for a long time. God is walking us through the same thing he walked the disciples through. And here we are. We're at the last moment that Jesus has with his disciples before he dies. Does it seem like maybe God's got a plan there? <laughs> Does it seem like maybe he has some purpose in this? Does it feel like maybe God is trying to get something across to us? Wait until you see what he's trying to get across to us today. The thing that he gave us to enter into this so beautifully, so richly, so fully. So with that in mind, Rick Curtin, who is just one of my favorite people in all the world now. <clears throat> I know when I say that, people dismiss it because I say that. But can I just say, I adore Rick and... You know, you are just such a man. And 
I love that. You know, your heart, everything about you. And this is perfect to have you praying for this. So lift this sermon up, would you? And also bring in another church. Pray for them. Jesus, we just thank you for your love. And we thank you that uh, we don't know where you're leading us. Uh, just like the disciples didn't know what you were going to be bringing into their lives, Lord. We, did, we don't know. But we do know that you're good and we can trust you. And I thank you so much for the progression of what we've been going through in the teaching recently leading up to this time. And we just praise you and thank you that we can trust you. So we just turn our eyes and our hearts towards you to trust thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you're going to say this week through Kurt and the teaching next week. Thank you that we can praise you. I just lift up Christ the King Church in Seed Row, Willie. Amen. Where our daughter and son-in-law and grandkids are. Amen. And just pray your blessing and that you would just explode that place with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. I love those churches. That's such a great church model and the way they do it. They really got a hold of this discipleship thing early on in the process. So here's the passage that we're in. When the hour came for Passover, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he said, take this and share it amongst yourselves. For I tell you from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant established by my blood. It is shed for you. So this is him instituting what we call the last supper and what has become known now as communion. Okay? And this is him instituting it. There's a thing in order to unpack this and get to the fullness of what communion is that I want to do, and that is to say something. Look at this verse here. I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. You do realize when the disciples are hearing this, despite the fact he's clearly told them, literally in this meal, that I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be crucified, but I'll rise again, that they still don't hear it. He's saying it to them as plainly as he possibly can, and they're still not hearing it. But the bottom line is, the thing I want us to sort of dwell in and rest in for a moment is fervently desire. It is less than 24 hours before he will be dead. Right now. And he will suffer virtually that entire 24 hours. He will be beaten in various ways. He will be, all kinds of things are going to happen to him, which we're going to look at in some detail. But the thing that I want you to see is this. If you knew that you were going to die and brutally, right after this dinner, it was going to start and then it was going to last for a whole day and then you were going to die, would you be fervently desiring to be at this meal? <laughs> I'm not saying you wouldn't get there by God's strong right arm, but do you see it? Would you be fervently desiring this? I can say you would be kind of excited about certain aspects of it, but you know, it bittersweet, you know the term? There would be some things that you'd be looking forward to and there'd be other things that I think would be just freaking me out. 
I can tell you, I wouldn't be like joyful. I wouldn't be, call, I wouldn't be describing knowing that all of what was going to happen, which Jesus did. I wouldn't be describing my wanting to be there as fervently desiring to be there. I'd be saying, I really can't wait to be there, but can we do it next week? <laughs> right? Now, of course, we understand the reason why he was fervently desiring it is because of what was to come after it's all over with. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. But here's what we do as Christians. Because we can go back to that moment, read the stories, in fact, have heard the stories so many times that they become sort of almost read them without paying attention. We can skip right over the second part of the verse, he endured the suffering of the cross. We can skip right over that and go to, of course, the joy. And when we do that, ironically, we end up robbing what the fullness of the joy is because we didn't look at the suffering. So we're going to look at the suffering. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to be some brutal imagery. And I'm going to show a clip in just a second here. Not right now, but in just a second. And I want to say something. If your stomach just can't take the it, don't just close your eyes. Okay, however, I want to say something. I hope you don't. I hope that you look at it, and here's why. It has been said, most of these clips are taken, all these clips are taken from The Passion, the movie The Passion, which many of you have seen. But some of you haven't because you just couldn't take it. And it has been said about The Passion that they went overboard in some of the brutality of what happened, and I think there's probably a legitimate case to be made there because it's just the way that they portray it. But I want you to understand artistically what the reason for that was. It's super easy for us, knowing the story and knowing where it goes, to not be shocked by what happened. And what they're trying to do is to take us back before the moment of the good to the suffering in order to get us to experience the same shock to the system, shock and awe, to the system, the same just overwhelming, oh my God, that happens in this moment. Do you see it? So I think the passion does a beautiful job of just jarring us because these are true things. They may be over-dramatized a bit, but the, I'm telling you, the people that were experiencing it at that time were not experiencing less than what we do when we see the movie. We're experiencing less. If you'd have seen this live, it would have been so disgusting, so appalling, so unnerving, so difficult to watch that you would have, it just was unbearable. And so that's why some of this artistry is unbearable. It's on purpose to get us to experience. The picture's worth a thousand words. How much is a video worth? So what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the suffering, not all of it, but some of the suffering that takes place that Jesus knows is coming as he's at this dinner, at this supper, at this Passover meal. And of course, the first thing that we have to look to is the physical suffering because it's just so obvious. Now, I'm going to show this clip now, and I gave fair warning, so if your stomach is just really not able to take it, then I love you, but I want you to see something. By the time he gets to the flogging, which is what we're going to see, by the time he gets there, he has already been beaten multiple times in various ways. 
But then we get to the flogging. And remember something about the flogging. The flogging is 39. Why? Because it's thought that 40 of these cat nine tail that's, a, that's a, like a multi-leather strap thing with glass and sharp objects into it, including hooks, that when you hit, it not only scars, it not only rips, but the hooks will catch and rip skin off. And the thought was is that if you flog somebody 40 times, it'll kill them. So they do 39 to bring you right to the point of death, at the place at which most people would be crying out for death, Right? So the point is, let me just, I want us to experience this. I think the way the Lord wants us to do that today. Now, that was only a few of them. I didn't want to go through all 39. It would just be unbearable. But of course, after this, now he is dressed up and made to be the king in a certain fashion. Rosa <laughs> Pulcherin. In the Shroud of Turin, you see the scars on the head, the blood. Well, of course, after this, he has been so traumatized in his body that he's not able. This is not what they did to normal criminals. In fact, the irony of the flogging was is that the guy who had him, told him to be flogged, was hoping that people would see and just be so disgusted that they would say that's enough and not have to crucify him. But the point is, they didn't. And so they keep going. And by the time he has to carry his cross, he can't. So someone else has to carry it for him, you remember. And then, of course, they get to the cross. Then the other hand, then the feet. I argued in my own soul whether or not to keep showing it just because the viciousness of it, but I just decided no. But we do have to understand that it all culminates, doesn't it? It all culminates, all of this suffering physically culminates into a particular moment.
before anybody, just in just 600 plus years before Jesus suffered this, God had Isaiah tell us about it. And what Isaiah said was, is many were amazed when they saw him. That word right there is not just amazed, it's astounded, blown away, appalled. His face was so disfigured he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know that he was a man. I think that's a pretty good visualization of that verse to try and make us understand the fullness of what God said. All the sin of the world coming upon one person. And it just ripped him apart. Knowing this, and Jesus did know this. And by the way, how did he know this? Did an angel come and tell him all the stuff? It's a really cool thing. You want to know how Jesus knew most of what he knew about what was going to happen to him? It wasn't by an angel telling him or getting some Holy Spirit that was telling him what was going to happen. That did happen a lot with Jesus. But you want to know how Jesus knew most of this was going to happen? The Word. The Word said it was going to happen. And so he knew for certain that it was. And he didn't experience it as a story. As a human being, he knew that it was the Word of God. And he believed it. Now, we think of believing in the Word, and that's faith, and we stand on the Word. But the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus read these parts that were about him, and he knew what was going to happen to him, that he would be marred to the point of barely even looking human anymore. So he knew it was coming because of the Word. The Holy Spirit quickening too, as it does, as he does. You see it? But here's the point. If you knew all of this was going to happen to you physically, could you fervently desire? Would you fervently desire to be at that moment? I just don't think so. And so I think we can ask a question, which is, knowing what he did, what Jesus did, how could he possibly be fervently excited about this Last Supper? Honestly, how could he possibly be? Now, we just that's just one level of the suffering. The weird thing about all the suffering that Jesus went through was the physical was not at all the worst thing. Every time we do the physical suffering of Jesus, I immediately say something right after that. All the physical suffering was pointing to something else that couldn't be portrayed, but that was more deep. It, it was pointing to something that Jesus was suffering that was worse than what we just saw. And what was worse was, Jesus has been eternally one with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Eternally. He has never known an existence away from the Father. Never. And on the cross, when he takes upon himself our separation, he's going to experience in some fashion a separation from God. I'm <laughs> 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 
Jesus didn't say those words because of Psalm 22, but as I just noted, he said them because he was feeling a separation from God. He was experiencing this moment of taking that sin upon himself, and he was experiencing in some way the separation that was worse to him than all the physical that had happened to him. But just so that we know, we do understand, this is Psalms a thousand years before Jesus. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? And I just want to say something. It wasn't only later after Jesus that we thought that was messianic. The rabbis at the time knew that there was something in that that was messianic. It was thought to be a messianic psalm from the beginning, meaning it pointed to Messiah, not just David. So here's now Jesus manifesting it, not because he read it in Psalms and so he sang it, but because he's saying, why have you forsaken me? What's going on? Now, of course, the truth is, Jesus having done nothing wrong, it was a good question. <laughs> and it's the reason why he resurrects again. Death can't hold him. He took upon himself our sin, but he himself didn't. The penalty for sin is death, and if he didn't sin, then he rises. But having said that, this is why it is that separation from God that when he was in the garden before he died, being in anguish before he was betrayed, being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. This is where that comes from. It's this pain. But So, so I want to say again, Knowing that, knowing that he was going to be separated, my God, if this cup can pass, let it pass. Knowing that, how could he possibly be fervently excited about this Last Supper? <laughs> but it didn't stop there, does it? Did it? I mean, look, here's, here's how it goes on. He, but look, this is Jesus talking. The hand of the one betraying me is at the table with me. The Son of Man will go away as it's been determined, but woe to that man by whom he's been betrayed. Now, think about this for just a second. Okay, uh, we're a small band. We're a troop of people in war, right? In the battle. Band of brothers. Think of that in your mind if you saw it. So we're just 12 of us with a leader making 13. And what happens is we're in the foxholes having everything being shot at us and doing everything we can just to survive because there's no chance that we're going to because we're so few relative to what's going on around us. And then what happens is the guy in the foxhole with you, in the trench with you, one of the 12 people that you have become thicker than thieves with, thicker than blood with, one of those guys stands up, pulls out a gun and shoots you. How does that feel? I'm not talking about the bullet. <laughs> How does that feel that one of these people that you had gone through all of this with and that was with you in everything, one of your most intimate, intimate friends, is the one that kills you? And by the way, before Jesus picked him, he knew he was going to do that. Now I'm going to ask again, how in the world can you sit at that table with that guy? <laughs> how can you do this? You can't, right? No, you know, everybody gets to eat the communion except for you. <laughs> 
No, it was he dipping the bread in there. He was doing the communion. This guy who was betraying him. What a betrayal. At the down depths of his heart. But by the way, it wasn't just that guy that was abandoning him, right? You do remember that what happens in a couple of hours, it's, it's 11 o'clock or so right now, in a couple hours, one, all the disciples desert him. Look, look at the word, desert. They desert him in his hour of need. <laughs> As it was prophesied, by the way, on the way, look at this, this is 2656, this is 2631. On the way, he tells them, tonight, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. See it? He knew what was going to happen because he read the scriptures. And he knew that it applied. But I just want to say, and I put a little emphasis in here, knowing what he did, how could he possibly be excited about being with these guys? <laughs> right? At his last supper. Pick somebody else. <laughs> watch this I will not eat again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes really cool thing right here now we're just now making a transition from suffering to something else on the first level look what he's saying right here I will not eat again until so, so watch what's happening he grieves about being separated from God as we saw why have you abandoned me right but do you understand that in these words right here, one of the things that he's saying is, I'm not going to be with you guys either anymore, and he's grieving over that too. One day I'll be with you again in the kingdom of heaven, but until then I'm not going to have this meal. I'm not going to do this thing. I'm not going to be able to be with you as I have been with you until later. And I want you to think about something for just a second. We think of Jesus as grieving so hard because he wasn't going to be one with God anymore, but do you realize that the way that God loves us is so complete? that the thought of not being able to be with us also grieves him in like manner? Do you know that about God with you? That he loves you as much as he loves the Father and the Son? How do we know that? Because he left the Father and the Son and did this for us. <laughs> right? So all of a sudden, Something's happening now all of a sudden because he is grieving the loss of them, but he is looking forward to something too here, isn't he? He's looking forward to a day when they're going to be back together. He also looks forward to what will come after with fervent joy. In fact, that's the source of the fervent joy. We've been asking the question, knowing what he did, how could he possibly be fervently excited about this? And what we said at the very beginning is because of the joy awaiting him. So all of a sudden, it's turning now. We have looked at, we have examined, we have experienced the suffering of the moment. And now that we own that, not just in our hearts, but in our guts, all of a sudden, it's making being reunited with him, being united with him. You see how much richer all of a sudden it's becoming? This isn't a small thing. This isn't just a thing. This is the thing. 
the thing that makes everything else worth it, the most gruesome things that Jesus could have experienced. It's being with us that makes it worth it to him. Wow. In fact, watch this for a second. Watch this, how cool this story is. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Now, what do we use wine for? I mean, not today, because now everybody drinks wine just because whatever. But in general, what was wine a symbol of? What does it symbolize? What does it speak to? Celebration, right? In fact, do you remember something? The first time that Jesus ever did a miracle, the next day there was a wedding celebration. John 2, we are, very beginning. Jesus and his disciples were invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. Standing nearby were six stone water jugs. Each could carry, you know, a couple of ounces of wine so everybody could have a sip. 30 gallons. That's 180 gallons of wine. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out, take it to the master of ceremonies. The servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it come from, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everybody's had a knot to drink, he brings out the least, less expensive wine. But you've kept the best until now. So Jesus. That's what somebody just said, so Jesus. Yeah. That's so Jesus. But you do understand something. What does the wine look forward to? Celebration. Revelation 19 at the very end. Then I heard again what sounded like a shout of a vast crowd, the roar of mighty ocean waves with the crash of loud thunder. It's the people praising God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride has prepared herself. Wow. Do you see the joy in it? But let's do something. The reason why there's so much joy is because we've also experienced what came before. If we were all just going about our lives being happy and then we were invited to a feast, how would it feel? Nice? But like this? No. It's what else is happening. All of the division, all of the separation, all of the suffering, all of the things, all of, all of all the fallenness of the world suddenly coming to an amazing, unbelievable, glorious apex. <coughs> We've been asking a question, knowing what he did, how could he possibly be fervently excited about this Last Supper? Why? Because he also knew what was coming. <laughs> right? This is how he does this. And I want to do something, see? You can't know the fullness of the glory unless you know the cost that it took to get there. Unless you've experienced what it was that fills in the richness of the meaning to be found in the thing to come. Yes. This is that progression that we noted in the beginning. See? It makes it the richness when we understand it. And it doesn't just end there. Watch this. He took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave them. This is my body, which is given for you. He took the cup after supper. This, is, this cup is the new covenant established by my blood shed for you. What are, we, what are the disciples doing with this? 
They're taking it into themselves. They're eating the bread and taking it into themselves. They're drinking the wine and taking it into themselves. Just as when Jesus raises from the dead and sees them in the upper room, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And now he has put God in you. <laughs> that wedding feast is awesome. And it's the end of it. And nothing can be more awesome than that because it's, you know, the, the beginning of the Bible is us walking away and the end of the Bible is us coming back together in the fullness of oneness. But let's just be really clear about how cool Easter is. <laughs> the Holy Spirit in us now, which is to say us being one with him forever. Thank you. Thank you. Easter isn't just the cross, nor is it the cross and the resurrection. It's the cross leading to the resurrection, leading to the new birth. We can come together and celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. And if that's all we're thinking about, how rich is it? Not bad. But now activate. Now go back. Now enter into what it took to get to that moment. What the cost was what the suffering was, what was done for you and for me. And all of a sudden, the fullness of that resurrection is incredible. But, but again, I want to say something here. It's super important. The fullness of Easter is not just about the resurrection. If it had ended there, it would have also been incomplete. The fullness of the resurrection is that God went into us made us new, and we became one with him for eternity. That's the fullness of Easter. And here's what Jesus did in order to, see, knowing what he did, how did he do it? Because he knew what was coming. So watch, here's where we are. What's communion again? Is it taking a little cup of some bread and kind of remembering something you did? And then drinking a little wine, thinking about something, or drinking a little grape juice in our case. What's communion? What's it mean? With union. That's literally in the Latin. Union is union, because it translated right over, and calm is with. So it's with union. To become what? One. That's what communion is. But here's the key. We've got to become one in the fullness that God intended us to understand that oneness, which is to say this. Bread is the body broken for us, right? So when, when we take the bread, see what we usually do is, we, what do we think of? And I want you to be thinking about what you do when you take communion, because we're about to take communion. And when you're taking communion, what do you think of when you think of the bread? Because it, what, here's what he's trying to get us to remember, the cross. He's trying to get us to remember also he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. You have been healed by those wounds on that cross that healed you. So when we look at the bread, we're not just looking at the body broken. We have to look at the body broken 
so that we can understand the body healed. <coughs> Do you see it? Same thing with the wine. Wine is death. The blood poured out. That was the seal of the covenant. He had to have his blood spilled because the life is in the blood and until the blood comes out, you're still alive. But when the blood comes out, when the blood stops, you're dead. And somebody had to die for the sin. So the blood seals it. Wine equals death. But as was said in our worship today, because God is in control of our, of our Sundays, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more having been reconciled will we be saved by his life? And so we don't just think of the death, we must think of the death, but then we must take it to the also place, which is new life. Right? So Paul says it this way, just to wrap it up. I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And I want to focus on that for a second. I think when we take communion, I don't know what we think of. I think we think of different things, and I love the way we take communion. First of all, I love that we take it every week. Because when you gather, take communion. Period. Right? And I love that we do it every week. But I want to say something else. I feel like what the Lord has been teaching me and preparing me for Easter was to take more stock of announcing the Lord's death. It's not only that. Do remember something. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. But thank God it's not its end. The end of wisdom is coming to know him who is love, right? And in the same way, when we take communion, we must start in one place in order to get to the fullness of what the other place actually is. It's not casual. It was bought at a huge cost. And so, Paul says about it, this is what I, that's what I, that is why you should examine yourselves before eating the bread and drinking. If you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment on yourself. Technically, this has to do with rich people eating to their full from their own plate and not giving it to the poor who are there and looking upon it longingly. Technically, that's what it's about. But do you see what a short jump it is and what an appropriate jump it is to also say something else? Examine yourselves. And are you honoring the body of Christ? Are you honoring the fullness of his sacrifice when you take communion? Do you do it casually? Thankfully, thanks is good. But do you also do it with the also in it? Do you have the cost of it? Having said that, we're going to be doing something here. You're going to notice that there's communion in your chairs and up here. 
And the first thing that we're going to do is, is that we're going to take a communion in our chairs to do the first half. The remembrance, the announcing of his death, the recognition. And in order to sort of set us up for that, I want you to feel this moment that John feels. This is the Last Supper coupled in. Capilo, stay. To not to me. To breathe. How much richer do you think communion became for John as he looked upon that? So I want us to do something right now. I want you to just, and you can put a little music behind it if you want. We're only gonna do this for a minute or two. But I want you to take, there's, there's two cups there. And this time, at this point in time, I want you to do something before you take the communion. I want you to focus on this first half the body broken for us and the wine being death. What was the cost to get to these cups? And have we properly assessed that he had to do that for you and me? For who we are, what we do. You see it? So just take a minute with him now. take the communion just yet. We're going to do it together. These cups are right in front of you down there and I want you to take the lower one first and we do this differently but we're doing it again we're doing two of them this today so this first one is all about the body broken and the wine being death and so in Jesus name God we lift this cup in which is your broken body given for me and I don't just slide forward to the next thing about healing I stay in this moment and I recognize the cost, having felt it, having felt it in my goosebumps. I recognize the cost of your brokenness. I feel it, I know it. And so I put my finger in there knowing that I'm the one that made that have to happen. And now I take it in full remembrance, announcing, announcing what you did 
that had to be done because of me. Announcing the suffering up to and including your cross. Take this part of the communion with that. And now Jesus, who is and wasn't is to come, who experienced death because of me, who had to have your blood poured out because of me. Dear Jesus, wow. Thank you for shedding your blood. But I recognize the tremendous cost of every drop. And I take this cup today remembering that. you to do something else. Stay in an attitude of prayer, would you please? Now I want us to shift over to the also. To this thing of love that he did for us. I want you to feel his love for you that he did all of that for you. And as you are moved, I want you to say out loud, just popcorn, Right? Don't stand up, no microphones, no nothing. Just two seconds. I love you, Lord. When you think about it, you think about what he did for you, and you suddenly start to realize it. It starts to get into your soul what he has done for you. Just cry out, I love you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. So just as you are moved on that, just do this around the house. Thank you, Jesus. Loud, so we can all hear it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Can we get some more? The whole house, come on. We don't have to get a cacophony, but just, just express it loudly. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you for what you did. I love you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <coughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Praise your name. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name. Thank you, God. If you're here and you don't know the Lord, I know this can be a little weird, but you know, it's people that you you know why, and it's people that are thanking him. And I would, I think you ought to think about, just pray about, let the Lord move you to say thank you to him too, because this was for you too. And so just another moment here. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I love you, Lord. Thank you for loving me, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And now just come forward, would you? Come forward and take this cup. Take of this bread that heals. Take of this 
blood that brings new life. Okay, enjoy. Come forward and take the second communion. Thank him for healing in the, in the bread. Thank you for life in the blood, new life. Thank you for healing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for healing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for new life, Lord God. Thank you. We're not done yet, so please don't leave just yet. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Michelle. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Go ahead and head back to your seats. When you've taken the communion, yeah, I'm sorry. Just take the communion on your own. Sorry. And then just head back to your seat, okay? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We're just, we're right at the end. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. What I felt like the Lord wanted to do this Sunday with us was to prepare us for Easter. Just as he did those guys and gave them that last supper to remember him by because they were soon to leave him. He was soon to leave them. That he wanted them to have something that would bring them back into the moment of their intimate communion with oneness. To remember its cost, its tremendous cost, and to remember the glory that it's for. So Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name as a congregation, we say thank you. We learn afresh how to take communion remembering you, to remember in fullness what it cost, what you had to do for me. And in Jesus' holy and precious name, that makes all the richer what it is that you have for me from it. So in Jesus' most spectacular name, thank you, praise you, all glory to you, God. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So ushers, could you come forward? We're going to pour out a thank 